Struggle Session. Welcome, everybody. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison. And today we are joined once again by a very special guest. He is the author of the hottest new comic out there on the stands. No one left to fight. You got to cop that. You got to pre-order that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read the first issue. It's fantastic. Um, you know who it is. Aubrey Citizen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me back. Am I, am I the first member of the three-time club or is wow. there anybody else precede me no is no no a couple of other no brie oh. brianna oh. joy gray who oh. is My currently rival. the press secretary uh for uh <laughs> oh, oh, bernie sanders so first you got passed up for that job for brie <laughs> and now she's a three-timer before <laughs> you on this show yeah i wrote a i wrote a wrestling graphic novel though that <laughs> 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 was brie three okay. times on the podcast or was she one time on a stream though no no she was three times on the show okay okay oh hey Okay, so, all right, so okay. I, I know who my enemies are now. That's yeah, the first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Who else? Well, you'll, a, you'll have to come a back few. a few. Uh, Rob Rousseau. Rob okay. Rousseau. Been I like Rob. But... Rob might be on four times. Actually. Holy shit! Wow. We'll have to go. Rob. Shit. Where so there was Rob? one sport. They do a couple sports episodes where I uh, uh, I don't join for some of those. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we we have a few multi time guests. Oh um oh um Emma has been on. I think she's been on three times. And of course, uh, Shannon Strucci has been on four times. Okay, all right. So I no longer feel special. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about you that. You fixed it. You fixed it. I felt good about myself, and it's done now. All right. <laughs> but today, we're we had you on last time to talk about Fight Club. It was yeah, a. Man. I think it was, you know, one of the most pivotal, important podcasting episodes that's ever happened because we were able to rescue that yeah. movie from the chuds. Very was, important. Yeah, very important to the discourse um, to cha- you know change the course of it, and so we're we're heading back. We're heading back to the late nineties, early two thousands. Dude, same year, same, same year for Fight Club and Matrix, nineteen ninety nine is a big one. Yeah, I mean this is this is about as uh, like this, you know, uh, Fight Club and Matrix. Like that's like a philosophy creator. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? If you're a te- like I'm a teenager when these movies are coming out, I mean I'm like these are brain shapers here for the rest of your days. Yeah, man, I was sixteen. Uh, in right. 1999, and both of these movies hit me like a ton of bricks. And my dumbass went right to NYU at 18 and started doing philosophy major. And like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you it's because of Fight Club and The Matrix, but man, uh, those both of these flicks hit me where I lived so very hard. Um, because you know, like, and I think that sometimes, uh, the philosophy of The Matrix stuff gets a little bit overblown. Uh, because like it's 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 in there and it's influenced by it but like it's not i i think where people get disappointed by the matrix and especially the sequels is where when they expect like a cogent philosophical treatise and it's not that that's not what it is they're fucking action movies but they're action movies like fight club that are informed like the action is informed by these kind of larger philosophical thoughts which i think is I don't know. I think it's the right way to go about this kind of material. You know, if you're going to do genre work and have it informed by stuff, the like informed by kind of like um, more highbrow influences, your first allegiance always needs to be to the genre, right? To the tropes and the the pieces that make the genre work. And I think that uh, the Matrix trilogy does, man. And that's what's great about it. So I I, I also uh, was a philosophy major. I did not. <laughs> do that because of the matrix and uh i can i can say but it does it did really excite me watching especially the latter two ones that everyone hated uh to see them specifically drop stuff that i was studying in my classes that was 
Yeah, so um, I haven't watched these movies in a very long time. So it's interesting uh, uh, to go back and check them out and see how well they um, hold up. Um, so first, of course, we have The Mind Blower, 1999's The Matrix. Um, I remember first seeing the trailer i was watching like in living color or something on fox and the original the original trailer is just so fucking intriguing like you like no one can be told what the matrix is like how does that not make you immediately want to buy tickets and figure out what the fuck Lawrence fishburne is talking about it looks so cool but they kept they kept so much hidden you didn't know you just saw these bunch of fight scenes everybody in leather or pleather looking badass and there was a mystery behind everything too and it, right. it just um i was so i remember watch i will never forget watching that trailer and like i have to go see this it was a killer ad campaign i don't remember the trailer specifically but i remember ads and comic books uh yeah. what is the matrix and like they were like i i think they were i meant to look it up beforehand but i think they were like um it was you know a full page ad and it was what is the matrix and it was like the weird like pink pods that they kept humans in in the real world and so it's like this this strange thing that's like totally disconnected from what the movie seems to be about when you even start watching it it was it was a really smartly done thing man it's um and it's something that i I imagine must be really hard to manage these days when you start seeing teaser trailers a year and a half out for a movie and by the time it comes out you've just you just know and you've seen everything it was kind of allowed to do a marketing campaign like this in the 90s maybe aren't allowed to now yes because the whole like the whole concept was kept hidden until you got really to the theater you knew it had something to do with technology or sci-fi but you didn't know like uh when neo wakes up in the real world that was fucking shocking i remember that like he's bald and atrophied and it was like a horror scene and like there none of that was in any of the fucking commercials you didn't know yeah yeah, you were kind of allowed to do a uh, an ad campaign that only used the first act so that you would like be allowed to surprise people when they got into the theater. But yeah, this was a, you know, uh, uh, like they, they, I don't remember them in the ads kind of showing anything from the sort of Zion world. Uh, I only remember things from the sort of, you know, uh, uh, clean and, uh, uh, you know, inside the Matrix. It looked like, man, it looked like, and this is why I was excited to go see it. Uh, it looked like hackers with Kung Fu. Right. It looked, like, it looked like Kung Fu hackers, which to 16 year old right. Aubrey, uh, you know, in 1999 and also a uh, 35 year old Aubrey in 2018 <laughs> is fucking catnip. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what I want. The movie yeah. hackers plus acrobatic wire Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. I mean, about Matrix one is a pretty perfect movie. You know what I mean? Like it is like as far as even like all of your sort of hero's journey kind of beats and everything like that, like. It's like a pretty perfect in the way that like kind of Star Wars is. It's one of these sort of like it, it almost feels like it's on a like bigger, more epic scale or something like that. Like it is, you know, it, well, it's mythic or something. I mean, I always read, you know, I'd always read that the Matrix, like the first one was initially envisioned as a three part thing. Right. right. And, so, and then the, and then, you know, a, a studio very reasonably said, Hey, we can't, <laughs> you can't start with this three picture epic. We love money right. for this. So fucking condense it down, Wachowskis. And they did. And I think that that, I mean, that, I think that's a lot of why 
you know, what you're saying and kind of why I responded to it was it was so deep and there was so much depth and breadth as well. Um, depth and breadth, magic comedy, <laughs> well, to this thing because it was really three. It was three movies. It was the full hero's journey. It was everything, mm-hmm. and then they condensed it down and they just excised whatever didn't work. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that um goes unsaid, not to be confusing, but just because it's not super necessary. It's a really right. uh, the first Matrix is a really lean movie, mm-hmm. you know, and like it's it's only the good stuff. Um, which is my favorite kind of storytelling. And um, it, yeah, I, I think that was a really influential thing for me as a kid to see, you know, not only what I mentioned earlier, just in terms of like, you know, I'd always loved action movies, but I'd never really seen an action movie that was about something, you know? Um, like, I, I don't know, like most of the action movies I grew up with, they would they would be cool. Like even things like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, things that are like remembered yeah. really fondly are great, but like they're not about anything. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have themes. No, or anything like that. no, they're good and they're well, they're well crafted, smart, funny, interesting, exciting movies. But what's Die Hard about, really? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, it's, it's about Christmas. It's about the birth of our figure. Right. It's uh, about how much you'll, how far you'll go for family. Yeah, yeah and reconnect really with your wife. <laughs> you know it. Uh, but yeah, I had never seen something, and not that it didn't exist, but 16-year-old Aubrey had never seen, and Fight Club is in this category too, I'd never seen stuff that did the genre-type material that I loved and actually imbued it with meaning and had this deeper, wider world that, you know, it didn't hold your hand, and it, it, it wasn't confusing. It just gave you everything you needed at every step of the way. Um, yeah stunning yeah the matrix also the first matrix also has this advantage of like you know uh, it does this hero's journey thing where you leave from the world that you know or whatever and he is leaving the world that we know he you know we're with neo in this as he leaves the world that we know i think what what the matrix does so well is that you keep like going back into that world and it like it does have this like feeling of like after the matrix you know you kind of can't help but wonder if we live in the matrix. You know what I mean? It is this like funny, uh, uh, sort of more, you know, larger, uh, uh, um, I don't know, way of viewing the world or something like that. It's a great durable metaphor, man. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think it's something I think really interesting that's happened about in the, the, the matrix discourse in the past <laughs> 20 years is that both of the Wachowskis have transitioned, right? Yes. Both have now, right? Yeah. And like, I, I know a lot of people um, point to the Matrix as this um, metaphor for um, coming out as trans and transitioning. Sure. And and I think that's fascinating. And it's um, it's something that I, you know, cis male um, Aubrey, like had never considered. Um, but it's such a durable metaphor because it also works really well for like angry 16-year-old white for sure boys too you know what i'm saying like yeah well this is why it's like the sort of proto hero's journey feels like this mythic tale because like it's a it's a story for anyone about finding themselves and so i do think that like yes those trans themes are absolutely in there and both wachowskis uh, are now trans uh, women and uh i i in re-watching it you can't help notice but also they these are made so sort of boilerplate and they're made so universal and really i mean like this movie opens with a man who's like working a boring corporate job at a kind of like 
it's almost like ambiguous what even the job is. It's like it's about it's about like becoming a rebel and about becoming like an individual in like whatever way. And it's about, you know, becoming who you are kind of in whatever way, you know, uh, uh, the viewer chooses to take that. It's great. It's so easy to I mean, to make a pun out of it it's real easy to plug yourself in to yeah the matrix, really right I mean, and, but it, the matrix is this like great sort of thematic idea for like you know what society is and like living under like capitalism and everything like that it's like we all sort of choose to be in this thing and you don't have to be you can like opt out and you know be an artist or you know be a a a activist or you can do what like if you don't feel happy in your life like there's another way I think well, I, I think there's one problem though, and this is about the age thing. Um, that off that horrible, boring office job that Neil works. It's a dream now. It's a dream for most. <laughs> of <the rest laughs> That's now. true. Yeah, like that yeah. in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, that was that, and it's the same thing in Fight Club too, and a lot of office right. space, all those things. It's like those office jobs now. Uh, we're taking Boy. in a heartbeat. <laughs> sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Like I I think a big part of the strict like the secret strength of the matrix right outside of uh the bitchin soundtrack which was my favorite which is, <laughs> yeah which, which is second only to the spawn soundtrack in terms of all oh, the favorite albums in the 90s yeah <laughs> uh, <but laughs> godzilla is a number three by the way uh but that's Roger godzilla but you know like one of the secret strengths of the matrix is how ambiguous all this how ambiguous it is right i think that like mm-hmm. for me um i make like I make this weird distinction of what, you know, constitutes like middle brow artwork. Mm -hmm. Right. And for me, middle brow artwork is stuff that is, you know, there's one metaphor and they drill it home and, you know, everything is like a one-to-one relationship of what it means and what it stands for. And there's, it becomes less to me like art, which to me should be in my mind should be a rumination, right? It should be something that the audience gets to consume and choose what they take away from it and make connections on their own. Right. That's interesting, good art. And it becomes more like propaganda, which is to say it's um, an artist giving you a viewpoint um, that you can choose to accept or deny. Right. And the matrix is very much the first of those uh, because of that ambiguity and the, um, the kind of generalness of the metaphor, right? Because it mm-hmm. isn't really a metaphor for anything specific. It's just these big, broader ideas that yeah. whatever stage of your life you're at or, you know, whoever you are, you can find a way to connect to this. And I think that I love, you know, I initially talked to Leslie about this like months and months ago. Cause we were like, I, I think he was tweeting about the second and third matrix movies and I love them and I will defend them up and down. But I do think that the strength, the real strength of the original matrix over the subsequent ones is that broad ambiguity that makes sure. it so accessible to so many people. Whereas the second and third really get into the Wachowskis exploring what all this stuff means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So I, you about that ambiguity, I mean, the most, what's the biggest meme of the Matrix that still exists and where is it used? It's, of oh, course, no. the red pill. No. Yeah. That conservatives and conservatives love using that metaphor now. And they're not even like misusing it necessarily. Yeah. It's just that they believe that, you know, everybody is living in this dream world where women are equal, equal and blacks aren't inferior. And you have to take the red pill to wake up from it. Right. That's what the right wingers believe. And for, and for all, and for all its strengths, I think maybe the, the metaphor, the matrix still works for that because it's the metaphor of Plato's cave. Right. And 
I'm like, you can use that for any political end in and of itself. It doesn't matter what it is. If you are in the mind, if your opinion is in the minority, you can use it to say that oh, all these people are asleep. I live in the real world. It's interesting, man. And I, I love that. I mean, we didn't plan it this way, but it's just, or maybe, I don't know, you know, Leslie planned it this way. Yeah. The brilliant Leslie Lee planned it this way. But <laughs> Uh, I think ma- the Matrix and Fight Club, right? The last thing I was on here to discuss, they there's so many similarities in that regard, right? The way that like the fight, we had to reclaim Fight Club from the chuds, and we kind of have to reclaim ma- the Matrix from the chuds too, because of how good these movies are, because of how effective they are at taking these, you know, the right. The right has a monopoly in our culture at large, generally speaking, the right has a monopoly on rage. And it's been that way for a really long time. And it's been a real thorn in the side of the left, in my opinion, right? That there's not like the the left is bad at harnessing rage and harnessing legitimate anger at terrible things in this world, right? Um, Liberalism has failed tremendously time and time again. Uh, Liberalism is just not interested in rage. It's just not something they do. Um, And there is a tradition of left-wing rage internationally and in this country even, but here you have to go back a really long time to find it. And something I love about Fight Club and The Matrix is how, you know, I remember being a 16-year-old, angry, reactionary, suburban white boy, and these movies spoke to me, and they spoke to me. And so (laughs) this sounds terrible, but I'm going to bring it back. (laughs) Uh, Stay with me. Like they they spoke to me, and they spoke to that rage and that that seething anger, that seething like hormonal teenage boy anger that I didn't know what to do with. But the great thing about those movies is they didn't take the easy way out in terms of in terms of using that rage for a reactionary purpose the way that most action movies do man like yeah. you look at most action movies who what is the big problem uh crime is out of control mm-hmm. corrupt you know corrupt um disingenuous usually kind of liberal politics uh-huh. right yeah. like it's all of the all the big enemies in action movies are typically stand-ins for you know um b- working class people or or liberal politicians mm-hmm. right um the matrix and fight club took another route man and i, I think that fight club has more of a co- uh coherent point of view on this stuff than the matrix does but i think both of them were really valuable in tapping into that sense of rage and that sense of anger and that's why they still even though the messages of these movies don't align with a right-wing ideology they right. still are used as um code for these groups all the time yeah but yeah, it's I mean, worth it's worth noting that who are they fighting in most of these mixed re- movies most of the time cops conservatives <laughs> cops and well security guards yeah the agents are agents they're, they're mon they're monolithic corporate dudes in suits like really? they're or like, the secret service they're FBI, they're FBI or well, cia you know like it's yeah it couldn't be clearer like truly like it is it's like astonishing that you know conservatives have been able to co-opt the idea of the red pill versus the blue pill because literally what the blue pill represents is like buttoned up conservative lifestyle like choosing the way things were uh, uh and going on in a way that's like convenient like that is conservatism and the red pill represents like raging against the machine with people in like leather fetish uniforms <laughs> like fighting against like white guys in suits like it's truly funny it's uncertainty it's the unknown yeah it's- casting yourself into the wind knowing that there's a risk and there's no safety net man yeah it's 
it's a fascinating thing um, how it's been co-opted. And unfortunately, yeah. for sure. And the first two films end with literally Rage Against the Machine playing. So (laughs) I don't know how they got that wrong. But I do want to (laughs) like another thing. I mean, it's pretty obvious in the first one, but even more obvious in the second and third one. My God, Um, these films are incredibly diverse. Like everyone in the future is black. (laughs) Like everyone in the future is pretty much uh black and like i feel like that's kind of people don't talk about that a lot with the matrix obviously the right wingers don't want to talk about it because this is like um putting down their whole ideology of supremacy it's like the only people that survive are like black and brown people for the most Uh, part uh, 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 uh. i always kind of assumed that it was because all of the i mean this is like utopian aubrey (laughs) just like headcanon but i always just assumed it was because all the races had intermingled and so everybody was just this nice Uh, shade of mocha yeah that's part of it too but aubrey you know what that's called called white genocide <laughs> <laughs> to an asian lady so guilty as charged yeah. i'm part of it uh, active participant in the white genocide yeah but uh, on this rewatch another thing that stood out to me is that morpheus is one of the coolest most badass characters that's ever been put on film yeah. Lawrence fitchburn fucking kills it like every oh, single yeah. utterance everything he does is so good even the little pauses when he speaks just add so much weight to everything he says and i just love this character and it's so shocking because all he is is a religious fanatic Uh right like he is the coolest religious fanatic ever i think that's another man i'll i'll say the same thing i mean i i I think this is like a recurrent theme in the matrix movies the more i think about it um there are you know like rage right like violence is is a thing that the left has failed to mm-hmm. use and co-opt and utilize not co-opt but utilize that's the right word for it um i think you know religious fervor is another example of that right um the contemporary left is generally pretty disdainful of religion and religion and especially religious fervor right because for so many years that's been an arena dominated by fundamentals right and and the right um and and liberals too right um and i think that again the matrix shows us ways that these powerful powerful archetypes right whether it's um youthful angsty rage and rebellion or whether it's um a belief in something divine and larger than yourself and the the zealous pursuit of that or the military man the third movie is a fucking war movie and yeah, it, yeah. it's it is the valiant military defense of zion and yeah. that that's a that's a third trope that is you know and i'm not talking this is not aubrey saying listen we gotta <laughs> we all gotta <laughs> tomorrow's sunday we all gotta get we all gotta get <laughs> out god that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that these are valuable powerful primal archetypes right um the the rage of a a young human being uh the the power of a zealot's belief the um the strength of a combined group of people coming together for a noble end these are powerful powerful archetypes and ideas and tropes that ha- that are typically used and dominated by the right and the matrix does something the matrix takes them and reclaims them we don't need to reclaim the matrix because the matrix already reclaimed all this stuff yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I if I were conspiracy minded, if I were a conspiracy minded person, I would almost say and I, if I actually if I was a conspiracy minded person and if I thought conservatives were like really thoughtful or smart that much, I would say that they picked Fight Club and The Matrix to be movies to like 
get the left to like not look at anymore to like <laughs> fuck make them fucked up because these are like the the sort of pop culture movies with the anti-capitalist themes with the like anti-conformist themes yeah i mean dude i don't think anybody's that organized on any correct i agree <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 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 i think the reason why the right glommed onto these movies is really is actually really really important it's really really simple they're fucking dope. Yes. They rule. They're great movies. They're great movies. That's the thing. Like, I mean, and that's what I mentioned earlier. Like, at the end of the day, like, all of this stuff is really interesting and it's fun to think about, but it's not the point of these movies. These movies are structured to be kick-ass fucking action sci-fi movies, and they succeed right. at every beat, and they never – they they don't ever sacrifice the requirements of that genre form for kind of middle-brow adherence to whatever – theme or metaphor they're trying to get across um maybe that maybe there are points in the third movie where that's not the case but but definitely (laughs) i I think the second one too that's definitely true yeah yeah there are parts of the second that aren't as strong don't hold up as well but i think the first one is pretty impeccable and part of the reason and like so i was actually watching these all these films like this is the first time this is the first time in a long time that i watched a movie and i'd be like oh i'm impressed by the special effects like right. you don't get that anymore like i'd never see a special effect in a movie well, and i wonder like oh how do they do that wow that's really impressive like that's so rare except for maybe mission impossible but that's not right. a special effect that's just tom cruise doing it the Wachowskis are like the fucking a pair of the best directors that we have. You know what I mean? And these are special effects directors. These are not like directors that work with previs guys and then just like accomplish the previs. They are like, they're like, they created these movies to like be a, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a showcase to like a showcase for the, like the special effects that they are able to accomplish. Like that's really the incredible thing about these movies is like the Wachowskis and I rep the Wachowskis so hard. I never really like sensate that much and I didn't watch Jupiter, Jupiter ascending, but the oh, rest of the filmography, I, you know, it's, I, I like it's ambitious and I, there's stuff I like in it, but I don't love the movie. Um, and yes, I know that they do yellow face and cloud Atlas and it's canceled. Such a misstep. Like so unnecessary. So unnecessary. I like that movie a lot too, but we must acknowledge that it's canceled. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like they make interesting choices and at the end of the day, I would rather have something interesting than good. I mean, that's like, that's, that's generally my aesthetic. (laughs) Um, Yes, I agree. Created, they created like new math for the effects in this, didn't they? Like that Burly Man fight. I remember reading about that like in Wired magazine in yeah. the early 2000s about all of the new algorithms and shit right. that you doing to have Matrix or have Neo <laughs> Matrix. I call it Ma- Matrix. <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> Matrix the hero. Uh, uh, well, uh, well, well, before we jump to Reloaded, oh, um, let's talk a little bit about Neo. This is our introduction to Keanu Reeves. A, a reintroduction to Keanu. Reintroduction, yeah. Because you know, this, this, this was this the first, first Keanu, Keanu songs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, he, you know, had been in speed and he did like a couple of romantic companies and the indie stuff. And then he comes back as like this supreme. Bill and Ted, of course. Uh, Bill and Ted, of course. Hey, that, miss, not to mention. That would be very. Uh, but this is, was him coming back and being like a major, major star in the biggest movie of the year. And I just want to know what, what did everybody think about, you know, neo his performance does he carry um the original film and maybe the second third one um i i would say 
Yes, I actually think Keanu is an extreme. I just think he's a very compelling performer, to be honest with you. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I love uh, Keanu. I think he fucking carries these movies. I also think uh, uh, Carrie Moss, uh, uh, we, we oh, would mention, like, she's yeah. so fucking good as Trinity. Oh, she's um, amazing. I mean, Tr- truly, like, the performances in these movies are, like, extremely, extremely good and For- compelling and memorable. For a film that's all about like just a bunch of big loud fight scenes, like right. the acting is mostly good. I have to say they don't pull off the love story in the first one, but it's not Keanu or Carrie Moss's fault. So I love Keanu Reeves. Um, I think that guy has like a natural twenty charisma score. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, there was that thing recently where like somebody did like the the like I don't know like the hot take list of actors who can't act and Keanu. Yeah, that's such the- bullshit. And like, I get it. Like, I, they're making a distinction between like the technical abilities of acting as opposed to being a big movie star. And I think that, you know, there are different types of roles for people. And I wouldn't want to see Keanu Reeves in every single role, but that's true of most actors, yeah. right? Like and he is perfect for this in with like his natural charisma combined with like this weird kind of like dissociation with reality. Yes. And, like, like, I don't know. Like, and, it, and in Bill and Ted, it works as like a Southern California stoner thing. But in this, it works absolutely as hacker messiah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the perfect fucking thing. I'll say this, though, man. I it, – it doesn't affect my enjoyment, of, my enjoyment of the movies, even though it becomes like a crucial part of the plot. But I never bought the romance between yeah. Neo and Trinity. Like, it right. never – it always felt a little um, – kind of out of left field to me it's uh, kind of like perfunctory like, yeah yeah, yeah like, that's why i have, have a romance in here and I so these two them. of course are the ones that's the thing. i never saw them fall in love and maybe that's a casualty of you know the movie originally being three movies yes it's yeah. down it's yeah. like, that like romance because right, oh, we yeah. actually do skip that in between one and two they're just in a relationship no no, no 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 in at the end of one she already she says I, i'm in love with you that's how he comes back to life and I'm like when have you even like talked to each other it's, <laughs> it's, it's so it's like it's it feels because and that the space like the first matrix movie it's like less than a week right isn't it like two or three days yeah no. yeah it's not long no so like yeah that it i don't blame them really but that is always something that's felt a little bit artificial to me um the relationship between the two of them yeah they just kind of had to fall in love and apparently she used to date cypher maybe i don't know <laughs> i just realized that like i i don't know i guess when you're on that ship with like four other people you have to fall in love with one of them it's the future man everybody's <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine oh so that was first matrix great yep. great film um i think everybody loves that film but then it got a little bit controversial with the matrix reloaded um oh wait sh- or should we talk about the animator first because so which actually, came out first was the animatrix came out the first? animatrix did come out first and in fact okay. there's some stuff in the animatrix that's referenced in so uh reloaded. Talk- the animatrix fucking owns oh well, i think we want to do the animatrix first like, even though it does touch on the like it does have like continuity mentions and stuff it's kind of its own separate thing um i don't know i don't care what we'll, 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 we'll move on to the reloaded yeah. and then do the animatrix all right so matrix reloaded now, people aren't as in love with this one and i can kind of see why as, you, as aubrey as you said matrix is tight it's all the good stuff they even cut out the love story <laughs> just to get on the fight scenes but the matrix reloaded is kind of like because i think most people felt that like the matrix was kind of done 
Like when they did when they at the end of the Matrix, like it was, it, it was, was finished, and they finished the arc. Like that's the whole story. Like Neo is now flying around, uh, super powerful, freeing more people, and eventually they would uh, win the war. And that was kind of it. He had killed the main bad guy, Agent Smith, and that was done. But then you come with, then they announced that they were going to do a part two and a part three um back to back and it was like where can the story go and i think what you're saying about the first one supposed to be the trilogy they had to come up with a second trilogy like for these two films to um fill out the story with and some of it works some of it's really cool i think the strengths of matrix reloaded are of course the fight scenes like the fight scenes for the most part are still really really excellent but god help me if i could explain the story like i just watched it today and I still, it's, it's like almost like a, one of the late Harry Potters where they're just <laughs> running around. Like you have to find this person to get you this thing because you're going here. And, it, and it's just very like not clear what's all, all the time what's going on. Um, and I can see why people didn't like it as much. I, you know, I agree. Um, I think that the second and third Matrix movies do not have a reason to exist, right? <laughs> in terms of in terms of the, the story of the Matrix, right? Yeah. There is there is no compelling reason to tell these stories, and you can tell because the stories are uh, it's mostly just like a lot of like fetch quests, yeah, right? Fetch quest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, get the key, like, literally get the key, get the guy who makes the keys, yeah. right? Right? It's like playing Doom or something. Uh, I. There's no reason for them to exist. So therefore, everything feels perfunctory. Everything is um, – my French is terrible, but fait accompli. Is that, a, is that how I say yeah, it? Yeah, that's like, how you say it. Okay. Uh, fait accompli. Uh, everything's already been decided, right? It's it's stuff that you, you basically had already figured out in your – like you would played these movies in your head while watching the credits for the first movie. Yeah. Like while the Machine is playing. I know I did. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. And so – but once you acknowledge that – once you acknowledge there's no real point to these movies, they're pretty dope. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I also would say this with regard to the, you know, in rewatching these movies and I'm someone who didn't really like these movies when I first watched them, I like did find myself liking them. And I, I, I there is something now, look, Leslie, you said before we recorded and I have to agree with this. Like they don't hold up as well as the Star Wars prequels. No, they don't. Do. <laughs> like in rewatching, like there's something better about the uh, Star Wars prequels, but I will say this, like, I kind of like how sort of mythic the whole thing is like there's something that is like kind of appealing after watching the first one and it being like such a clean hero's journey like there's something like and I think intentionally so like very like biblical about these movies and and I think that the sort of uh uh you know just like the cleanness of it all like that they are just looking for like the person with the key kind of I, I don't know makes them feel like uh uh bigger and more mythic or something to me i like that stuff too man i grew up in i went to sunday school every week until i was like 16 uh so so i am a sucker for a christ metaphor the more more i went to sunday school all the time and that's why i hate christ metaphor uh yeah dude i again i think it's one of those really powerful um primeval lodged in our brains like lizard brain archetypes right and so i i I really love all that stuff yeah Uh, but yeah it's these movies don't need to exist. Um, but to sure. this point with Reloaded, especially Reloaded is my favorite of the three movies to go back and watch four movies. I like it watching it even better than the Animatrix um, because there's like a 45 minute freeway fight scene. Yeah, right? it's so you know? cool. 
like there's, there's there's a few things that i like that make reloaded my favorite of the matrix movies even as i like do the obnoxious equivocating thing of like oh well i i admit the matrix original is a better movie but i like watching the reloaded more because the fight scenes are so very dope that um that highway fight scene still the green screen is a little bit grating in 2019 but the action and how it's paced and choreographed is exquisite it's so good i also love the nods at again the depth and breadth of the matrix universe right i love that there there's an earlier version of the matrix with fucking werewolves in yeah. it I love the ghost twins i love everything about the merovingian and his smoking hot wife uh i love <laughs> okay I Mon- love- it has to be said monica Bellucci is the most beautiful woman to ever exist Jeez. besides my I wife guess. of course yeah, i see jack my wife, jack too, uh, too late too yeah, late she's number four. She's also no no i didn't I, my wife's more beautiful than monica Bellucci. <laughs> but it, it was great to see her in this um i'm not too into like on the rewatch i actually don't like i found the merovingian kind of tedious like i've really? seen that character so many times now since then it's like um okay they could have like fast they could have kept his dialogue a little bit snappier like he's just like a bond villain kind of shoved into this thing it doesn't <laughs> I like it, I, I like a bond villain too <laughs> i like just a wildly monologuing uh like a feat villain <laughs> It's one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> super, super into the Merovingian. Wait, what do y'all think about the dun- the, the jungle rave? That's a thing that everybody hates. Okay, that was like everybody that hates everybody. it. Everybody hates it. I, in rewatching it, I'm like, okay, so this movie and the larger themes of it are really about going from like square corporate world to like breaking out and like being an individual and everything like that. And so I, I actually don't mind. Like, and this is reflective probably like of the world of the Wachowskis, to be honest with you. Like, I I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, there is this this modern tale of what it means to like break away and, you know, uh, uh, reject what it means to be a part like a wage slave in modern society. And I'm like, I actually am fine with like a big sweaty underground rave happening, you know, in contrast to what it's like to work, you know, for a corporation. I 100% agree, man. I hated it when I saw it in the theaters, but now watching it, it seems like a crucial part of those films to me. Like, right. it, a crucial part of those completely perfunctory, unnecessary movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, dude, that, you're right. That's the theme. It's, they know that the robots are coming to destroy Zion. It's their last night to celebrate and to claim right. their humanity. And they do it by play, by banging on drums and getting all sweaty and fucking. Yeah, you know, and I actually like, by the way, that everyone in Zion, and some of this is more in uh, Revolutions, uh, but I like that everyone in Zion is kind of like a crunchy, like, hippie, kind of. Yeah. Like, they're all just like, so what this is, is like, you know, you leave behind corporate society, and even like the, like, the the council of Zion are like these older people, but they all have like little jewelry and like dreadlocks and shit like that. I'm like, this is ostensibly a guy who like, Cornell who leaves his, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> this guy like leaves his <laughs> shitty corporate job to go join a commune with Cornell West and fight against <laughs> yeah. corporate corporations. I love that the the message of the Matrix is, you know, we're all stuck in this corporate life. Uh but what we but and when given a chance, we become goths. But what we, <laughs> what we really want is to cover ourselves in patchouli and become. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's like you know, there's a, there's some there's me, there's a message there. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's definitely a message. <laughs> All right, so let's get on, let's talk about the Burley fight because this was the fight that everyone was talking about. I think it's 
the third best fight in the film. Like I actually yeah. rewatching it, like there's some pretty good stuff in there. I but the CG just it was I didn't even think the CG was good then. Like there's some good CG shots in it too that work. But yeah, too ambitious. Like if they cut the CG shots in half, it would be a better fight. In like 2001, 2002, that's just kind of what CG looked like. You go back and watch those Spider-Man films, and Spider-Man looks like he's made out of rubber, the same way that yep. Agent Smith does all the time. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't. I was really excited to rewatch that fight, um, and was similarly let down. Like it's a well-structured, cool fight scene, but the CG is it, it makes it kind of rough to watch. Yeah, honestly, and, and like watching it again really closely, like because they do so much good practical stuff, and it's really long. If you took out the CG, it would still be a really long good fight. Even after he gets the pole, whether CG goes, you know, supernova. There's scenes of him practically using the pole that look good, so it just seemed like uh, kind of unnecessary. Like they blew their load a little bit too early on the CG thing and they should have just, and there was nothing that he did in CG that he didn't do something as cool. Like for real. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, the third movie is my least favorite. And I think that like part of that is because, you know, that's like the big, um, so, you know, there's like a couple big fight moments in the third movie, right? There's the Burly Man thing, and then there's like a defensive Zion. And at the end of the day, I'm always going to like the Kung Fu stuff more than the gun stuff. Yeah. Um, this is my, my personal preference. Um, but the gun stuff at the end, the big defensive Zion, it is cool. It's good. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, a big part of why the third one isn't my favorite is because there's not enough rad <laughs> fighting stuff. And I think that the things that you mentioned, I think um, – I think Les, or I, we all, we all mentioned it, that like, it's, it's just a lot of like running around and getting things and not really understand why you're doing it. Uh, that comes to a head in the third movie, especially because I find the character of his name is Bane, right? The guy, um, the guy who, yeah, is think, in the real world. I think his name is Bane. Yeah. That I find that guy's whole story and arc super out of left field. And, kind of unearned because he's this guy we he's this guy we've never seen before and then meet him really yeah the second movie it's like oh shit this is the big villain now yeah and that's like for the third movie to work you really need to buy that bane possessed by agent smith is the big bad um and you know the third movie hinges on that and i think that that can be kind of a tough sell to me yeah I, he, I kind he, of agree. He does a good Hugo Weaving impression, but he does. Um, we ha- we haven't actually talked about Hugo Weaving um, yet. Um, I think you know it's arguable that he's the main character of the second and third film. Like he's the protagonist of the second and third film because he's the only one that actually knows what he wants to do and and but while all the rebels are flopping around like he's actually going out and creating the world he wants and actually really find his character agent smith's intriguing just the malice and the disdain that he brings to the character I actually think is um pretty pretty cool i agree and i think that that's it's a smart i think it's a smart observation on your part leslie but i think it's also a smart um, choice by the Wachowskis because Neo is allowed to just kind of become this static character, just this cipher, right? Like Neo is Neo is the Messiah and he just does his Messiah shit. And then the world kind of acts and moves around him. And by making, you know, by giving the more, by giving 
Agent Smith, these more human Agent Smith is more human than Neo is yeah. by issue by issue two by um part two by re- reloading. Yeah, yeah. Angsty, he's angry, he's filled with resentment, and he wants revenge. Whereas Neo is just this like um very serene Zen master like savior, and it's it's not as interesting. Um, and that's not a complaint. I think it's actually really smart structurally what they did with it because again, the first the first movie ended and. It was over. Neo's story was done at the right. end of this movie. And so by making it about Agent Smith, they were able to get a couple more movies out of it. Yeah. So and at the end of Reloaded, we get the big reveal of about what this whole the one thing is about. Um, Neo, the one anagram, blah, blah, blah. Um, we find out that this is part of the Matrix's control scheme to have these Messiah figures come along in order to give humanity hope because otherwise they'll reject reject the system entirely and they've dis- destroyed Zion five times already and this is a cycle that keeps repeating and I when I first heard this I was like well I like anything that's like even when people were telling me about how the Game of Thrones world is like maybe 10,000 years old, like I find that really fascinating old worlds that stay static and don't grow and don't move. And I find that a really like fascinating concept for the Matrix. Like they think it's like 2199, but it's really more like, you know, 2999. That's how long it has been since humanity, the machines have been in control. And I, thought it was a good resolution of all the religious shit because by the end of the reload, I was kind of tired of it, honestly. Dude, I liked it. I love that stuff too. Um, And I liked it for a couple reasons. One, just kind of structurally, I like stuff that's recursive, right? Like I like, I like the Russian nesting doll aspect of it, right? Like, um, okay, we thought we, we were the real rebels and we had um, broken out of this control, but really we're just part of this larger system that's also being controlled. And then there's even kind of like hints and like insinuations that maybe the real world is the matrix is like, it just, it's just like layered matrixes, right? Like yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's nods towards that stuff too. And I love that. I think that's like a nerdy, weird recursive thing that I really dig, but kind of thematically what I love about that is it is, again, it's something that's really common and, you know, from a leftist point of view, it is the way that capitalism absorbs and monetizes yeah. and uses rebellion. Yeah. Right? Um, it's um, it's Pride Month, right? It's 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 right. it's Target's Pride Month well, section, right? Like it's it's June right now. That's why I'm making that reference because it's on my mind. But it's every time that a capitalist system sees rebellion, sees counterculture, sees something dangerous that could upset mm-hmm. status quo, it. and then co-ops it and makes it part of their system, and the fact that that the machines have done that with humanity's innate desire and need to rebel and make a choice. Like it's, it's a, it's also a fascinating nod towards the problem of free will, right? The problem of choice. And like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have choice, but it's built into the fucking program, right? Which is depending on which theologians you talk to, that's how God works, right? God, (laughs) but it's really just part of this larger plan that he has. I love the chicken and the egg turtles all the way down aspect of that stuff. Yeah. The arc- I, I actually also would like to say that I, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, I'll, you know, while I mostly agree that the matrix sequels don't need to exist, I am glad that they do in a way, because I really like, you know, when we meet the, the architect, yeah. I believe, and we find out 
that there have been six. This happens over and over. He's the sixth, the one, and they all make the choice that Cypher made. Like they all end up rebooting the Matrix and becoming a part of it again. And so I, I know they, they, don't like re- a- they don't reboot the Matrix and become a part of it again. What they do is that they make the choice to um, they they end up rebuilding Zion. Zion gets destroyed. Uh, have to imagine yeah they and then the one gets to pick the new people to lead zion so it's not really a i don't even know if it's a choice really like uh because for the because the difference for, they say the difference between neo and the other ones is that neo is in love so he wants to go back and keep fighting because trinity's out there but all the other ones they just just they get revealed this is the game this is how it works this is you, how it works your yeah. part in it is over with so just head through that door um we're going to destroy zion but you get to be rebuild it and that's kind of the choice they, i don't think they ever go i don't think the other ones go back into the matrix they just end up um like running the, like just being part of the sort of show yes, of it all yeah the idea is that the idea playing is, their part yeah. but I, I either way whether or not i you know sorry for misremembering exactly how uh, uh, it was presented but it is this thing of sort of like you know and i think that this speaks to what you were saying of like you know uh, uh, corporate culture and, and everything like co-opting you know revolutionary language and revolutionary ideas and sort of just folding them back in i think that that this in matrix uh uh in, in matrix reloaded kind of reflects that idea yeah. of like you know even when something like this gets big like they can you know you have to still choose not to be co-opted you have to still yeah. like get, get that option and make the still make the right choice at that point because that's how these things go wrong well that's the thing yeah it's 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 rad, man. It's it's really. We cool. need we need AOC to watch Matrix Reloaded <laughs> just in case. Just in case is all we need to do. AOC to wear more pleather. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say the fashion holds up. The fashion that two, yeah, late nineties two thousand fashion still looks badass. People, should- <laughs> I would not to, but and I agree with you except for Carrie Ann Moss. I think she looks like a, I think she looks ridiculous in like her weird, like pleather baby doll dress. Well, here's the, the thing. She couldn't, she, could, she wouldn't wear leather because she's vegan. So she had to do the pleather. So she looks more plasticky. I don't think, you know? dude, I don't think it's just that though. I think it has to do with the cuts of it uh, as well. I, I think like she, she looks badass. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I stand uh, Carrie Ann Moss. In <laughs> you, think, you think that standing next to fucking Natalie dressed, Lawrence Fishburne with his waistcoat and green shirt. You think Carrie Ann Moss? <laughs> I think no one looks good standing next to Lord. Hey, something else about Lawrence Fishburne uh, that we didn't mention earlier. I love all of the mass that he put on by the time the second movie came around. So I watched preparing for this. I watched the second movie, the third movie, the first movie, and then the Animatrix. Mm-hmm. And I was stunned by how I was stunned and upset by how slim Lawrence Fishburne was in the first movie. <laughs> I love, like, in the second and third, he's like a mountain of a man. And he it gives him like a much more, like that big barrel chest. And he feels like, I don't know, he feels like some powerful prophet. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he you know, let, moving on to, you know, uh, Matrix uh, Revolutions. My God, you could just call them two and three, uh, I have to say. <laughs> um, so this is the one where like, it gets kind of weird um like morpheus doesn't really have anything to do um because his prophecy has already except for you know telling people you have to believe in neo i trust him and like he doesn't really have that much to do besides that 
the film opens with Neogen stuck in a train station. <laughs> Which I don't <laughs> mind. It's weird. It's very, very weird. I, 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 I guess I kind of like the sequels. I do. It's like they're so weird and they're such, uh, I, you know, three is it definitely has sort of the least like cool stuff in it. But I like him meeting like the the program who like they don't want their daughter to die uh, i like that shit i i i i was okay with it before watching it again it's just like it's too much it's too much I, like, I like the idea of it like i remembered liking it and like this is this is the funny thing because i've spent um i don't know however many 17 18 years defending these movies to my friends uh much to their <laughs> their, their irritation uh, <laughs> but uh, i remember like i like the idea of him getting stuck in this kind of purgatory right and it's like isn't it like an anagram for limbo or something like that it is yeah it's uh it's mobile street it's uh, and they have a big long lingering shot on the very weird name mobile <laughs> silly <laughs> i like that i like i like the again biblical. me too i like the over the topness of it yeah it's just it's just a little boring is the thing like it's yes. just it's just a little bit too much of him hanging out in the subway station with the yes. nice the very nice um british family that he meets there yeah um, and then they yeah and then they have to go meet the bond villain again and it's kind of like watch like it that. i don't <laughs> like because because okay they came out like a few months apart so that kind of yes. felt okay but watching it back to back i'm like him again like you just like <laughs> fucked him up these are just one big long movie like reloaded <laughs> and revolutions are kind of just a big like four hour movie pretty it, much. except for the one recasting they had to recast the um uh, oracle yes, true. because uh the actress who played her passed away between shooting them unfortunately yeah that didn't Which, by the way they shot these movies so back to back that's like that's a real like uh that's bad luck right there you know what i mean like this wasn't even like years apart or something yeah yeah that didn't like i remember hearing when i heard about that i was really worried um just <laughs> that's a little insight into early two Aubrey and what was on his mind just really stressed out about uh, <laughs> the oracle but uh i don't know i kind of i didn't mind it and i kind of i it kind of made me wish that more of the programs took on different appearances um, because like that's, that is honestly one of my favorite um, sort of established bits of lore about the matrix, which is that if you're choosing to enter the matrix, not inserted into the matrix, but you're choosing to enter it, you get to decide how you look. And it's like, and it's, it's a mental image of whatever version of yourself you choose. And so it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see, the human characters and how they want to present themselves, which, you know, could very well be a notion, uh, you know, uh, a nod towards the nature of identities and how they're all performative and we make choices about how we appear to people. Um, but it's also interesting from the machine side because of the fact that, you know, one of the interesting things about the matrix quadrilogy and, you know, especially in the animatrix is how human the robots become. Yes. Right. And like, and the air and the, and we mentioned it with um, agent Smith already, but like, as they evolve and as their AI gets better, they lose, they shed what we think of as machinery and take on the aspects that we identify most closely with humanity. And so it's also interesting to think about why the Merovingian chooses to look like he does. Why the, I forget his name, but like the big scary monster guy who runs the train that goes through Limbo. Oh, that's easy. He's called the train man. The train. <laughs> Apropos, the uh, the suitably named train man. Uh, that guy chose to look like a fucking monster with crazy teeth. Like that. Like that's all really interesting to me. I like 
Um, so the fact that the Oracle would choose different appearances oh. depending on who she's talking to or what's going on in that world, even though it wasn't intentional because like the actress died, that to me, it, it, it fits in. Like it, it works with the idea of the Matrix. Yeah. So once you get past, you know, once they get Neo out of the train station, then the film for about an hour becomes a mech anime. Right, like yes. which is cool. Is that not cool? What the hell do you want? It is cool. Yeah. It is cool, but it is like like you're completely out of the matrix for a really long um, time, and you're just seeing like the real world and this big fat battle and the fights and them on the ships. And actually, it's not bad. It's very interesting. And I think I've seen when like there's all the mechs like shooting up at the middle. Oh, it's great. Like, actually, this is fucking dope. This is so cool. It's so great, but it's. It's kind of not what you come for, you know, for the Matrix. I feel like it, like I want to, on one hand, I want to applaud the Wachowskis for like being able to pull this sort of thing out of their ass entirely, like this whole big section of their film where they just make a different sci fi movie. But on the other hand, it just doesn't, it doesn't deliver that for me when watching those scenes. I don't get the same feeling of what I love about the Matrix, which is the I, martial arts. Uh, if it's like a bait and switch, man. You know, you, you yeah. go there, you go there expecting more of what was dope about the first two movies. And then it becomes this weird, like very CG heavy, uh, like gritty battle thing. And even though, you know, there are parts of that that I think are really cool. Another trope that I really like is the, the blinded hero who can see better than any of oh, us. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing that I will always fall for. Always. <laughs> and, and one thing I do want to praise, I, and we, I should have mentioned in the first ones, like characters do die in these films. Like, and yeah. like, you didn't have to wait 20 films for somebody to die. Like, um, APOC, um, and all, another characters and in the first. Dozer. That was a, a mother in the first in movie. Dozer. Yeah. That, that was really sad. Like these movies have death and, you know, consequence in them, which, you know, you don't see in a lot of big budget, uh, films. And, but we we would be remiss if we didn't mention um, Dozer's uh, brother um, Tank. He died off screen between um, the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded, and that was because yes, um, and that was because uh, Marcus Chong, who played him, wanted asked for more money um, than they were offering, and so they just wrote him out. And it was actually kind of fucked up, actually, because they only offer him like. 250 for to do both movies and like after the matrix made a bunch of money he wasn't getting residuals for it um he he it, and it drove him a little nuts actually he kind of went uh, he kind of like was crashing um like the premieres he uh sued um the Wachowskis and warner brothers for um black it's actually really um sad <laughs> um what happened to him after his film because he didn't really work that much after it and then they brought in noted scab Augustus Hill yes. to take his place. Yes. That guy's forever Augustus Hill to me, by the way. <laughs> That's an Oz reference yes, yes. for everyone out there. <laughs> Great show. But yeah, uh, I showed uh, Jack, I showed you the video of him like, getting arrested. Yeah, that's pretty fucking wild. And you know, uh I'm I I, I you know, I'm a I'm a Wachowski's uh, stan. I like the Wachowski's, but that's fucked up what they did to him and uh, shouldn't have arrested him like that either. And you know what? I don't like that shit where they're like, he t says about how he's like, he's like, they didn't go through his lawyer for his deal and all this shit. I, it's not good. It's not good yeah. what they did. To they should have given him a million dollars, million dollars for two movies. Come on. They could, uh, they could, they yeah, could have coughed that up. Not a big up. deal. Not a big deal. Yep. Um, but yeah, RIP Tank and Dozer. 
Yeah. And R.I.P. Trinity, because she dies in this one, too. And I was... I'm, I will be forever mad by the guy who spoiled this film for me, and I'm going to get him back. I, I friended him on Facebook. <laughs> who was it? It was some guy oh, on really? the forum that I posted on. He's, he was kind of an asshole. But I found him on Facebook, and I friended him. And so I have a plan now <laughs> to spoil um, the, la- uh, the last Star Wars movie for him because he's a Star Wars guy. So as soon as those spoilers <laughs> come out... Uh, I'm gonna be posting on his Facebook wall. There. I'm gonna get revenge in 20 years in the goddamn good. Lincoln. Good. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Trinity dies. Neil gets blinded. Oh, and we didn't mention that now he has his powers in the real world too, because that was kind of an interesting dynamic. Because all these characters, they're super badasses, unstoppable badasses in the Matrix, but in the real world, they're just fragile humans, and and that's what the um, traitor is able to take advantage of. He's able to, you know, kill uh, one of them and blind uh, Neil because he doesn't have his powers uh, in. For, he can't do Kung Fu as good in the real world as he can uh, in the Matrix, but he does manage to blind him and then that sends Neo into like Super Saiyan mode and like the real world, like where he can <laughs> I still don't really understand There's... that, if I'm, being, like, like if I'm being entirely honest, like I remember when I saw it originally I was very confused and like I thought my my first thought when I saw it originally in the theater, I remember thinking, "Oh shit, is Neo a robot? <laughs> yeah. Is Neo a robot? Is that what, is this is he a robot? Is that what this is?" And now rewatching it, I don't think that's supposed to be the case. I think it's just that like he has kind of some preternatural ability. I think he's to a god. Speak I think he's an actual robots? real god, a god <laughs> in real life is what I think. So I, so they say at one point they just say like the powers of the one extend beyond the matrix. But they don't say why or how did the machines or what the powers of the one yeah. are. Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I have always kind of believed that that means that the outer world is also a matrix, which also kind of fits with like what the uh, the architect did. It's like this is also some kind of way to like you know corral all the humans who like would be. Uh, uh, you know, predisposed to try to rebel or something like that, but that's just my like personal. Oh, I'm with you. That's my well, fan theory, we man. Can't, I we think can't that, believe I, that because we do see the architect and the article talking at the end. So unless they are also in the matrix that they don't know of, that wouldn't hold. Well, no, I think that they. I think that they met up in the matrix because yeah, they're, they're like, like no, no, they're no, what I mean, yeah, the, the, the conversation they had doesn't imply doesn't imply that right. there's another that the real world is also a matrix that people leave like but it doesn't imply that there's not it's not either you yeah, know what i'm saying like i don't, I don't think, think it contradicts rules it. it out i don't I, think so I think either you, i mean like, i think so you I, both are wrong i'm sorry i think <laughs> you are going too far you're putting hats on hats you're doing the you're you're i i think it's turtles all the way it's hats all the way down it's turtles wearing hats on hats all the way down uh no but that this is exactly what i was alluding to earlier this is one of the things i really love about it, it because it again it really speaks to this idea that you have to be you have to constantly rebel. It's an unending revolution, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it never ends because wh- whatever you do to push back against these oppressive systems, whatever, you know, and we sharing our leftist sensibilities that we have, we see those as specific things. But th- again, this is the strength of these movies. It's really just about fighting back against oppressive systems. And everybody thinks that they're living in an oppressive system. Everybody does, no matter what side of the political right. spectrum they're on. And it's the idea that, you have to continually fight back against these things because even once you've won, your victory can and will be used against you. And so the idea that, you know, the, 
it all hinges, you know, these movies at the end uh, are revealed to be all about choice and destiny and how these things are, um, they are incompatible, but they also find a way to work together somehow. And that's the machine's plan, right? The machine's plan is, listen, we're going to put you guys all in a matrix. Uh, for some of you, that's not going to work. So we're going to have to provide this illusion of choice, um, which is Zion and the real world. But that's not the real world either. This is also just a fucking faint um, right. that you have to rebel against this. And they don't even get to that point yet. So again, like, I mean, Leslie, you mentioned like Plato's cave earlier. It's the same fucking thing, right? There are the people who are chained up looking at the shadows and they think that they're, they're in the real world. And then there are the people who are one step further and they think they're in the real world, but neither of them are right. It's the right. people who are up outside the cave. I see. I, right? Yeah, I see. I see your point. Do you admit? Do you do you submit? Do you submit I, I, to I, me I, and Jack Allison and our? I, well, the there's people? a there's a couple of problems. Again, the scene with the architect and the oracle. They unless they're like lying to each other. I, I don't know if it really fits with a matrix on top of a matrix interpretation. And also, this is where it kind of gets messy, right? Like in the very end, like the themes about always fighting against the system. How does Neo actually win? He stops fighting. He stops fighting. But that's how he wins. He does the anime thing where he lets the villain win because fighting isn't the answer. And all his goal is peace. It's to not because the he, the one is supposed to end the war and he ends the war not by destroying all the machines, not by defeating all the machines, but by making peace with the machines and allowing and uh, allowing humanity to exist still ultimately kind of under the control of the machines, but giving more people the choice to break out of the matrix if they choose to, to not actually he re ultimately he really just kind of saves Zion. He saves all of humanity within Zion and they can still be free. They can still unlock people, but the fight kind of keeps on going in a weird, well, they say they do establish that people, People are going to be given a choice to yeah. leave the matrix if they want to. Right. And I, you know, I would add this. So again, like, I think that what we talked about earlier in terms of this, not being like a one-to-one -one metaphor um, is like important to keep in mind, because like, if you start applying that to it, like I don't know, you, you do that to anything and you start like finding problematic yeah. <laughs> viewpoints. Right? Uh, right. But I think that there's another way to look at, you know, the way that the Burly Man fight scene ends with neo instead of just beating agent smith he allows agent smith to consume him and then beats him from the inside like i think that there is something like there's something interesting there this idea that and i think it ties in with the larger themes of the movie too this idea that by defining yourself in opposition to something you prop that thing up right um if you if you are if you're if you're an anti-machine person, right, and you your entire existence and your viewpoints and your philosophy and your goals are defined by opposition to the machines, and you don't have a core um, ideology of your own, that's ultimately pretty hollow, right? You're really just fighting against something instead of right. fighting for something. And so, by Neo making a choice for peace and making a choice for everybody getting along together and finding a way for you know to live side by side i think that's actually a pretty powerful revolutionary statement especially 
in light of the stuff that we learn in the yeah, Animatrix. So uh-huh. a good transition I was going to make. Yeah. I, used to, I used to have a fucking podcast, <laughs> Leslie. I know how uh, it works. <laughs> yeah, so what we do learn, and unfortunately I really wish they had fleshed this out in the uh, in the physical movies, uh, but we learn in the Animatrix that um, the humans deserved it. The humans deserved yes, the it. the humans deserved it. <laughs> we put they so. I mean, yeah, man. There are a lot of great uh, shorts in the Animatrix, but specifically the two-parter. What is it called? Like uh, the uh, Second Renaissance, yeah, the Part second One Renaissance. and Part Two. I mean, I actually think it's like integral to like understanding the films, kind of, and also just beautifully animated. Yeah, so so cool looking. Those are the best. Those are the best parts of the Animatrix by a long, no, long, I, long I like shot, a lot I of the rest of the Animatrix, but they're kind of just like anthology tales about the world of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, tales I, from the Matrix loved, for the most. I loved the Animatrix yeah. when it came out, and I was one of these people who, dude, I loved, and I know we're not going to talk about Enter the Matrix, but the but Enter the Matrix, just got to get this out there, also contains crucial canon lore about the Matrix world. Even the MMO uh, does, too. Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, but yeah, I remember, I was one of these people who made the like, lazy contrarian claim that the animatrix is actually better than any of the matrix movies um and uh-huh. i remember thinking that and believing it really strongly and rewatching it i it doesn't it didn't hold up as well as i had hoped it to it, it would um i think that the second renaissance ones are great i love the the running one but the rest of it does just kind of feel like yeah like you said like tales from the matrix kind of arbitrary stuff yeah, but I, 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 my exception would be matriculated because that's by uh, peter chung um where um that's the one where um they are converting the robots uh into being on their side and it has the really great peter chung who did aeon flux um his really great art style and his really fucked up sensibilities ends with the most terrifying and horrific ending um imaginable um so that's the one where they're they're converting all the uh there's a ship out there and they're converting the machines to the cause and they keep some of the machines with them and one machine while they're converting one machine they get um invaded by a bunch of other machines that basically kill all the crew except for this converted machine and this one woman and so the machine sticks her the converted machine saves her that's a really neat moment yeah he saves her but then he plugs her in to the matrix with him and now she and she wakes up in horror realizing that she's going to be trapped in the matrix for the rest of her life with this machine who's uh in love with her now I, uh, which again, it, it's, you know, I like hearing you explain it a lot more than I liked actually watching. <laughs> I love, I loved Aeon Flux. I love Rain, which was like oh. this weird Alexander the Great TV oh, that was show. So good. Yeah. I, I like Peter Chung a lot. Um, that short, maybe I was just worn out because it's the last one and I was just tired of watching these, but, uh, it didn't, like, I like the idea of it, man. I really like that once again, it is, the humans sowing the seeds of their own destruction, yeah. right? Because like, it's not just that the robot fell in love. Like, the robot's not just some incel that fell in love with her. They designed a computer program to make the robot fall yes. in love with them. Like that, that was, that's the, the plot of the thing. And so then for that to doom her to this eternity stuck in there with it is kind of this really poetic thing that once again speaks to uh, the hubris of humanity <laughs> to to create a to create life and then also control it. Like I like talking about it, but I don't know. 
Yeah. How about how about how about that guy running so fast that he breaks out of the Matrix though? That was that is a cool <laughs> one. That is a really that's kind of what it's kind of one of my favorite things in all of the Matrix. Just a man <laughs> like just a man running so hard and his muscles just exploding and he breaks out of the Matrix and they give him an aneurysm. That's punishment. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Yeah, I I like I, the Animatrix is really good. Uh, I can't get with that that uh, contrarian take that it's better than the films, and I yeah. I actually like the whole trilogy a lot. But man, that the 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 new Renaissance uh, uh, is is fucking the second Renaissance is fucking incredible. It's so like you know like the animation is beautiful. The designs of all the robots and they have multiple designs through and like the story of you know we build these machines to serve us and then we one of the machines you know is uh, about to be destroyed. Doesn't want to die. Yeah, he doesn't want to die. He wants about to be destroyed by his master, so he kills his master, and then and we slaughter all the machines and the machine and uh confine them to this one like island like one concentration cap and they end up building such good technology that we end up using it in everything right like we've banished right. them and we still like use and exploit them and then when they come to us again in peace trying to you know reintegrate uh with us um we go after him again start a war um that we end up you know losing pretty uh badly and we blot out the sun in order to uh try and stop yeah. them because they're solar power Kill the sky i think they call yes. it. yes it's it's i liked all the biblical stuff in the in the second renaissance as well right like not only like there's like a great shot of like a robotic horse riding like through the war yeah. right and it's like four horsemen vibes. apple um yeah, the apple um, that they bring to, you know, kind of as a gesture of peace, but also temptation. Um, my favorite bit of it, though, is where the new robot city of Zero One is set. Yes, in the Cradle of Civilization. They put it in the Middle East. Yeah. They, put it the, they put it in the Cradle of Civilization in the Middle East, which um, to crazy people like myself who grew up within the church, that's where the end times come from. That's right. where Revelation kicks off, right? Like that, like and like current like right wing lunatics think that that's a reason to like stoke <laughs> the flames of war in yes. the Middle East. Uh, but like the idea that you know it's tying in to all of these really powerful, um, uh, you know, the original, the Bible, the original meme, uh, like the fact that it, like <laughs> it's tying into that and touching on this the idea that it's the birthplace of civilization, but it's also the start of the end. Right. And it's and it's the start of the end as designed by humanity. Humanity create like it's again, it's this deterministic system where humans had to create machines. They had to treat them shitty and then they had to shove them off over here and they were destined uh, for conflict. Right. I don't know. It's it's a really it's a beautiful, elegant piece of the best part of the Matrix, aside from the Kung Fu, which is <laughs> which is kind of this recursive, repetitive structure, I think. All right, folks. Well, we've talked about all the matrixes, matrixes, matrix I, the matrices, the matrices. Uh, <laughs> are they good? Yes. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. I would. They're great. I would yeah. recommend if anybody hasn't watched them, and we are at the point now where some of our listeners may have not actually watched the Matrix movies because um, we're getting old. Um, definitely check them out. They're all on Netflix currently. You can get the Animatrix at any streaming place or just pirate, just pirate it. Um, and that's yeah. very good. Get that Matrix soundtrack oh, too, yeah. man. If you, if you, yeah. is it on Spotify? Like, it's not. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the Spawn soundtrack is. Oh, on Spotify, that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. You know, I listen to it all the time. Yeah. All right. Aubrey, where can people find Leslie. you 
and where can they fight and uh no one left to fight in fact tell us a little bit more about the book yeah tell us about the comic is really cool i I read the first issue i love the like uh the colors like it's such a colorful and cool very vibrant uh, looking world i love these uh characters fico is amazing my co-creator fico osio he's doing the work of his career on this stuff um he's penciling inking and coloring it himself and it's this um it is a really dynamic eye searing palette that he's chosen for it um no one left to fight. It's available right now. I mean, because this, this is going live after July third, right? Yes. We talked about that. Or yes. if not, it'll be it'll, it'll be available soon. It'll be in comp, comic book shop everywhere. Go live as your as your as your writer asked us. This will go live after July third. My man. 3rd. My man. Uh, <laughs> the um, I'm enjoying this bowl of blue M and M's too. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, it's the pitch is this. It's uh, it's our riff on Dragon Ball. It's our love letter to Dragon Ball. Wow. Fico and I grew up. Uh, loving and adoring dragon ball we took all of our favorite parts of that of that series all iterations of it right so all of the big crazy explosive martial arts fights all of the humor all the soap opera and we've condensed it down so it's not you know as opposed to 45 volumes of a black and white right to left manga which can be intimidating to some folks it is a full color five issue american style limited series uh it is after the battle's been won these these dragon ball-esque heroes uh they're a little bit older they're moving into their 30s some of them have kids uh they've won they've defeated the big villain and now there's no one left to fight and it's about them figuring out what to do with themselves once they've achieved their goals uh once they've won the life that they fought for and that they thought they wanted um and finding out where they go from there um i you know it's it's heavy stuff, uh, you know, in spite of the fact that it's a big, f- colorful, explosive fight comic. There's some like heavy um, kind of emotional themes in there. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And uh, I'm hoping people will check it out, man. Uh, it's really cool. And uh, yeah, that first issue is great. The first issue is pretty much. Uh, uh, well, I guess the way you described it right now, uh, uh, it's a, a fight breaking out between Vegeta and Goku, more or less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's what you want. It's it's, it's everything exactly you, want you want from Dragon yeah. Ball. Yeah, yeah, it's those guys fighting. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's available everywhere in comic book shops and single issues. The first issue is out in July. It'll be monthly thereafter for five issues. The trade will come later. Um, it's also available digitally on Comixology if you like to read your digital comics. And uh, I've got links to it everywhere, all over my social media, which is super easy because I'm the only Aubrey Citizen out there as of now. Um, wow. better not. If there's another one, I'm gonna. There's another I'm, Aubrey I'm out there listening. You know, uh, another Aubrey's uh, fine. Another Aubrey Citizen is another a problem, Aubrey Citizen though. If there's another Aubrey Citizen out there, stay, come use a fucking catch me outside. Name. Use catch a me middle outside. name. How about that? <laughs> Start using a fucking middle name. I um, used to that middle name of yours. I'm at Aubrey Citizen everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, on on Facebook, it's Charles Aubrey Citizen because I'm using my middle name. Um, oh. but yeah, um, it, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm a bit, I'm, a, I'm everywhere. Uh, come find me and uh, AubreyCitizen.com too. All right. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Aubrey. Uh, uh, and uh, thanks everyone at home for listening. Talk to you. Uh, see you later. See
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.